Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. I cracked a little bit there. Like, oh, no. Like Bobby Brady. No, Bobby Brady didn't crack. Peter Brady was the one that cracked, right? His voice is the one that cracked. Anyway, greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Yeah. This is episode 52. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by the water drinking Chris Raygun. It's a good it's a good adjective. Just looked right there at the water bottle. I couldn't really <laughs> it's think very of anything. Creative. Feeling a really... year. It's been a year. It's been a year. Well, I was thinking about this. It's almost been a year. This is like... This is episode 52. It's like why we have no year zero, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. went from one to one. 
1 BC to 1 AD or common era if you want to be more politically correct. Did we have an episode 0? No. We we had an upload 0 which was just the theme song. Oh right. So I we've done counts. we've down I guess what I'm saying is we don't celebrate our birthday on the 52nd week. We celebrate our birthday on the 53rd week. Right. Right? So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because what if we're celebrating and we're just being real cute about it and then we die? Yeah. That seems uh, plausible. Yeah. You know, anything can happen. Stranger things. Stranger things have happened. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. My hands are bleeding. Yeah, you have been broken. You are going to I want to save this for a little while, but you've been playing Crash Team Racing, getting the platinum trophy. You're going to get it. It looks like I think think so. I think you're going to get it. Only a few people have it in the world. So you'll be one of the first people to have gotten it, I think. But I want to let's save that for a little while. We will. And I have it downloaded on my machine. You mysteriously asked me to download it on my machine so you can play it here. I don't know why. I got to use my time wisely. I see. I see. Now, Chris, for the uninitiated, Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast goes up every week. You can get it three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. That's also how you submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show, which we matter around. I was going to say splatter around, but that sounds a little disgusting. Yeah, I don't like that one. Sounds like you taking poop, maybe. And yeah, you know, it I think that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Skip that one. Okay. By the way, the furry talk <laughs> last week was uh, well, it was pretty off-putting to yeah. a lot of people. And oh, of course. I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. Yeah. You don't want to imagine things like this. No. No. You don't want to imagine a a grown man in a yeah. You're, you're gonna paint. You're gonna paint the picture again. Outfit. Yeah. <laughs> you're painting the picture again. <laughs> you're you're <a> terrorist, <laughs> Chris. We have quite a bit to get through, but I I have some procedural shit that we need to get through first, like some really important things for the show. All right. I tweeted out this past weekend just a poll asking the audience something that you and I have discussed in the past. Actually, you and I have talked about this almost since the beginning of the show. Yeah. Which is doing it twice a week. And I'm getting more comfortable with this idea. Mm. And you and I had discussed it only briefly. You and I very briefly discussed it over text this weekend. But I wanted to ask the audience like what they thought. And three out of four audience members or so that answered thousands of people answer the poll. Again, it's just a poll. It doesn't mean anything, but it can indicate what the truth might be. Mm-hmm. They want a second episode of the show a week. And I pitched it as the second episode will be a non-numbered episode. Nothing will change about our show that you get every week. Like nothing's going to change. Yeah. I feel like I'm a video game publisher trying to explain why the DLC will not hurt. <laughs> Here's the, the release the schedule show. for the Anthem. But what I'm thinking will be fun, and this is what I pitched everyone and, and people were really positive about it, was why don't we do a second episode a week that's only 45 minutes to an hour. Mm. It'll only go up for patrons. It'll not be numbered. And it'll allow us to dive deeper into different subjects or whatever that don't necessarily fit into the show because I don't like like if we had just played the division two, I don't really want to talk about it for 45 minutes on the show, but it would be cool to talk about the division only and dedicate an entire episode to it or, you know, dedicate an episode to just a news item that we really want to delve deeply into or just we have a bunch of really good listener questions that we want to use that week and we can't fit them into the regular show. So I think we're going to do this. But to Chris's point this past weekend when he and I discussed it, I think we'll start doing it in August. Yeah. And is there a reason you, you're going to be gone? I'm going to be gone actually. Half of I'm going to have well. like, I think family's coming or something. Mm. And then I have to go to them. Right. Because there's been like a, a, fl- a bunch of bullshit regarding flights. Yeah. So that's going to be like a weird period at the end of July. Also, VidCon and all this crap. You know, it's a busy month. It that, is a busy that, month. Uh, that month. Well, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. We'll figure this out. Nothing's yeah. changing right now. And nothing is going to change for the show. At all. You know, like it'll be indistinguishable 
from the usual insanity that we publish every uh, Tuesday or Friday, depending on where you receive it. But I wanted to let you guys know that I'm thinking about that, that we're thinking about that. And I think we're going to do it. Yeah. But I really do think it's going to be a Patreon, like, like just for dollar patrons or above, just an extra piece of content, like supplemental content. And I don't know what I want to call it. Sacred, sacred symbols. <laughs> sacred symbol, sacred. <laughs> Triple S. Sacred like symbol that. special. We'll figure it out. Sacred That's symbol select. Sacred, sacred symbol select. Like sacred Mc- symbol select. <laughs> like chicken selects at McDonald's. Exactly. They're just a little bit better than the nuggets. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking that this will be a really fun way. And the other thing that I talked to someone about, someone made a joke saying that they were homeless in response to it. I thought they were serious, <laughs> but they're not. But I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. Do you listen to Sam Harris at all? He does. I mean, a- I, I used to a little bit more uh, often. When right. I had more time. Well, for people that don't know, Sam Harris is like a neuroscientist and a philosopher. He does a really great podcast called Making Sense. It used to be called Waking Up. I don't know why it's not called that anymore. And he has this really interesting thing he does where he has like an app and a pay service and stuff like that. But if you really cannot afford it, like if you really can't afford the price and his is way more expensive than anything we do, then you can email him and he'll figure out a way to give you like a subscription for free if you're a student or something like that. So I want to do the same thing. It's the same thing we did with merch where I made the merch available for well, the logo is available for free. So you can make your own merch for free if you didn't have the money and didn't have the disposition. We'll do the same thing for sacred sacred symbols. We're not really going to call it <laughs> whatever the hell it's called. So like we'll figure out something a way that if you really cannot afford it, if you're really tight on money, if you can't afford literally the dollar a month, it's going to cost. We'll make it available at some point in the future. Excuse me. I just birthed. So just throwing that all out there, something we're thinking about. Want your feedback. That's about it. on that yeah. front. Chris Derek Wechter wrote into us. He said, I just said Woden us said. Hey, Colin and Chris, hope all is well with you and yours. Just wanted to clear up some of the confusion and concerns surrounding Sacred Symbols reviews disappearing with Apple getting rid of iTunes. Fret not. Your reviews are not going anywhere. And Apple podcasts aren't going anywhere either. You'll notice on your iPhones that there are individual apps for podcasts, music, books, and TV. These four apps together make iTunes. So going forward, Mac OS is going to follow suit and break the iTunes app into four individual apps. So this is great. We were concerned that our incredible iTunes review library. Yeah. Which you guys can continue to add to. At your leisure. That they might have been gone. Yeah, which would have been awful for us. Yeah. Now, I think we're being throttled on iTunes. I straight up have talked about that in the past. I think we're being absolutely throttled on iTunes. But, but, but it's still important that you guys go over there and review us if you can, if you download us there. I just wanted to throw that out there. I didn't want to discourage people from leaving us very nice and complimentary things. (laughs) Some of them are pretty golden. There are. I read them once in a while and they're really funny. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I wanted to, I shit on games journalism all the time. Chris? Yes. It's mostly terrible. There, By the way, I, I usually only shit on more mainstream games journalism. There's a lot of really great smaller sites that I cite all the time that I think are great. Like yeah. Push Square and Komatsu and stuff. But there is a really interesting interview with Andrew Wilson, who is the CEO of EA, done by Mike Futter, who used to work at Game Informer for GameDaily.biz. It's Andrew Wilson's first interview in two years, and it's fascinating. You guys really got to go read it. A lot of people have been pulling little news items out of it. I am not doing that on this episode. You should just go read it. He's talks so, because people are pulling out like, oh, they gave up their bonuses and all this kind of stuff. And they think Anthem is very good, but not great. And all this kind of stuff. I'm like, that's interesting. But just go read the interview. It's really long and it's really fast. I didn't even know about this. And since we shit on games journalism all the time, when a good piece of games journalism happens, we might as well highlight it. Yeah. So Mike Futter's interview with Andrew Wilson on GameDaily.biz. Go read it. Jake Whitaker wrote in and said, I have one simple question for you, boys. Is a pop tart. A calzone. Uh, what a what a bewitchingly evil question mm. this is. Yeah. A calzone is by definition, by the way. 
a folded pizza, a pizza that has been folded in on itself. Folded in on itself, so like a if, dying star. That's what it is, like actually. Like I'm pretty sure if you look up the definition of calzone, that's what it says. If you wouldn't consider an open Pop-Tart a pizza, then a Pop-Tart is not a calzone. Oh, that's a really interesting point. You deconstructed it. Yes. And you threw it right back in Jake Whitaker's face. It's not a calzone. Get the hell out of here. Eat shit, Jake. <laughs> and finally... Just a PSA from a man who goes by the name Fat Houdini. Oh, I like that. He says, fellas, I'm at a charity speedrunning marathon games done quick this week up here in lovely Bloomington, Minnesota, and I need to utilize this platform to tell everyone, please bathe and be aware of your body odor. Don't let the memes be reflections of reality with how badly people who play video games smell. If you need help, please contact Fat Houdini, and I will personally buy you soap, shampoo, and other toiletries at no cost to you. Best wishes, the man known only as Fat Houdini. Now... (laughs) I like that. That's like when Xbox did their uh, like deodorant or body wash or whatever before E3. Did you see that? No. <laughs> they had like this weird Xbox branded deodorant. Like this year? Market. Yeah, like wow. this like a week or two before E3, which is like a pretty pretty massive nudge nudge wink wink yeah, wink wink. Yeah. Why is it? I don't like. I don't like to be mean, but I've been to a, I've been in enough of these things, right? And by the way, it's not exclusive to like Comic Con or PAX or E3. I've been to many sporting events where people smell like shit. Oh yeah, concerts. Yeah. Like airplanes. You see, airplanes the, are pretty bad. Here's the thing about air travel. Right. When someone smells like shit at nine in the morning. <laughs> well, it's what be- happened. <laughs> Didn't you get to take a shot, like wake up in your wherever you are and take a shower and come to the airport? What do you roll out of a fucking dump? It's, it's worse because the air is recycled up there you know dude i can't There's not you're in an enclosed space it's bad but look you're in a you're in a convention space it's hot a bunch of people are like in cosplay it's like it's 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 the worst place to be really it's disgusting you just wear you just wear a mask you know a, one of the uh, special edition doom slayer helmets if you can <laughs> just to conceal every bit of your face as possible just so you don't get sick and disgusted just wash your balls for god's sake all of you wash your balls it's not difficult and your assholes all right chris let's talk about what we're playing, I want to start with you. You've been playing Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled, and boy, have you been playing. Yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> I'm on the hunt for this Platinum. i got to get it by Thursday night. Uh, my thumbs and index fingers are actually calloused and numb, but my God, I'm having such a good time. I'm glad to hear it that. It is so good. I was initially really bummed about it because I had just... I had been playing the original one on PS1 like consistently for like years. Like it, It's not like, oh, I haven't played this game in a while. You know, I played it like the day before this new one came out. So it was in, uh, initially like really irritating that there were some changes, very minute, but obviously due to the difference in fidelity and the difference in the engine that they're using. So I was initially like really put off guard by the fact that, ah, oh, why would they change anything at all? But once you get the hang of it, man, it's such a genuinely fulfilling game. Challenging as hell. Like way harder than the original one, which is wow. wild considering it's like a 90s game that was like probably designed to be frustrating. Now, what are the different... So there's single player... I guess there's like a single player campaign you can use the different characters yeah, and so some sort to unlock things. Yeah, so there's there's an adventure mode and there that's easy, medium, hard. Hard is insane. Ridiculous. I, I managed to do it, but it, it was mind-numbingly hard. And then there are time trials that are basically like... To beat them, you have to basically be a speedrunner. Like the, the, the AI will straight up cut across courses and do like glitchy shit that I could have sworn they would have patched out, but it's still there, which is awesome. It's great. I'm I, best kart racer around right now, honestly. Cool. That's great. That's great to hear. I'm really happy that you're enjoying it. You can play it online, right? With others? yeah, you can. Is are, are are people good online? I mean, it's hard for me. I play online to relax, you know. But I'm also like 
I'm in probably the the rare percentage of people who's like weirdly obsessed with this game. So like online's kind of easy. Sometimes I'll get second place. Oh, you know? Wow, look at you. But your regular yeah. Mario not to Andretti, toot my own you? not to toot my own cart. Oh, but well, uh, well, you could have said toot your own horn. I mean, the cart could have a horn. No, cars don't have horns. Oh, not in this one. I see. Well, the one thing that I want to ask about this is if it's got the rubber banding that was so notorious in Mario Kart games that turned me off, obviously, at a very young age from playing any of these games. Not that I noticed. I don't think so. You can get if, you, if you're good at it, you can you can get a substantial lead. No one. They, can, they can't do that thing where they trail behind you and get a boost from your line. No, it's none of that. It's very mechanically complex. There's a lot of uh, maintaining. There's a lot of really complicated systems at play. That I think really elevated above something like Mario Kart or Garfield Kart or, or Team Sonic Racing or whatever. There's a lot of like you have to drift across turbo pads to maintain to save that boost for later. There's like a reserve system and it's like to, to master it is like kind of wild. So it's it's I, I'm loving it. I want to delve deeper into the difficulty if we can. Sure. Jeremy Miller wrote into us on Patreon just like you guys can out there and gals. Why am I cracking so much? And gals. It's one of those days. Hey, CNC, my question is more so directed at Chris. What are your thoughts on the difficulty of Nitro Fueled? I felt like I couldn't make a single mistake and always needed to boost on medium difficulty. So for the first time in my adult gaming life, I turned the difficulty down to easy, where I would win each race by about 30 seconds and making the game far less fun as there was no challenge at all. It seems like the game is far more difficult than the original. Curious to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work. For sure. Like the, the medium, the medium mode in this new one is equivalent to the hard mode in the previous one. And then hard is like up up to a whole new level. But I think, I mean, that's the thing about this game is it's very like you need to learn the ins and outs of this game to be really good at it. And I think hard mode and even medium to some degree really challenges you to do that. And I think it, it does so in a, in a way that really makes you want to learn how the game works. Like I, I know more about how the game works now than I did when I played it in the original just because, you know, there's more hints as to how things work with the graphical fidelity. There's more things that the game can get across. The black smoke in your exhaust is something that you got to pay attention to. When you can, when you have a blue flame coming out of the back, you have to know how to maintain it. You have to know how to hop and, you know, maintain a speed that isn't slowed down by the fact that your tires are slowing down on the pavement. It's wild. And it's, uh, it's mechanically complex. I love it. I'm glad that it's harder specifically because, you know, the old game is something that I can just destroy at any point at this point so the fact that it's the same spirit of the old design with this added challenge is something that i really appreciate that's great and did it review well i actually didn't even look it's doing pretty well i think it's like i think last time i saw it was like 87 or something oh, wow. like that. very good it's doing pretty well good although it's although people are like i don't know if it could stand up to mario kart because it's that bullshit come on be real get good well <laughs> get good, we all guys. know what what the story is with nintendo games don't we everyone yeah don't we? All right, Chris, I've been playing a couple of games. First of all, I've been playing Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, and uh, I really like it a lot. I think it's really great. Now, it's important to note that I I received what many have received, which is a cataclysmic game-breaking bug. Oh, yeah. How was that? About What's... six hours into the game. What's that? What, was so that? what, what did it do? So there was this interesting bug. If you started your save on 1.0, patches, and then it continued in 1.02, it made a bunch of treasure chests unlock and empty their contents for some reason in the game. So you reach a point in the game where you need to get this stuff called the silver bromide after kill after killing this boss and you use it to, you know, proceed to get an item that you need to proceed. And the treasure chest is open and there's no silver bromide, so you can't continue. And I went and looked this up and I'm like, this is fucked. And 
dude, tons of people like reached this bug and they looked into it and they figured they can't fix it. Like they were like, you got to start again. That's kind of crazy. So I was really upset about it. I was like, first of all, threw off everything because I was going to review the game like last week. I hope to review it this week. And so I had to like sit down and, you know, like when that happens, you have to play through parts of a game you've already played and you have to like just do it. Yeah. So I got back to where I was in like half the time. It's fine. And then I keep playing. It's great. But that's a really unfortunate, you know, an inexcusable bug to introduce into a video game when you're most eager people. I mean, I downloaded that game the second it was available. Like I bought it with my own money. I had it, you know, the little timer on the on the cross media bar. I was ready to go. So like a bunch of us got fucked, you know, that that spent forty dollars on your game. So that sucks. But it's fixed now. It shouldn't be a problem for anyone. And it's a really, really cool game. I will give it this. It's so inconsistent in the way it looks that sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, there's this one character that that creates he, he can like cook dishes and create like synthesized items and stuff. And when he runs around, it looks like he has a she like has a dump in his pants. <laughs> like some of the animations are fucking terrible. And then I was showing Aaron yesterday. There's like these amazing animations. Like you can tell yeah. that different people were obviously at any game. Different people were working on different characters because some of the characters animate. There's this one character with a shield and like these spikes in front of the shield. If you guys play the game and know what I'm talking about, watch the animations on this character. It's unbelievable. I was like, holy moly. So there's this really inconsistent look with the graphics, with the the backgrounds, with the music, with everything. It's all inconsistent. Some of the enemies are really uninspired. Some of the enemies are incredible. Yeah. There are these severed dog and cat heads that you have to fight, which are really creepy that I <laughs> I think if you supported the game on Kickstarter, you can design enemies. And so you can see what some of those enemies are clearly in the game. Yeah. There's one enemy with like an electric guitar that's like really fucking cool, like a zombie with that an electric cool. guitar. So I really, really dig what they're trying to do. I think this is a really nice step in the positive direction for Iga and for this fledgling franchise. Unlike Mighty Number no. 9 and KG and Afune, my other boy and the other game that I really wanted to work out. This is this is working out just fine. And the only thing I will say is that I think Curse of the Moon, the 8-bit any creates game from last year is actually better than this. And I I actually said that last year when I was playing it. I'm like I bet you this game will be actually be better. And they're very different. One is based on Castlevania 3, one based on Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Right. But highly recommended. It is expensive. It's more expensive than I thought it would be. It's for it's 40 bucks. Oh, but, really? Yeah. But huh. I think I really kind of think that that's a reasonable price, at least for someone like me now systemically it's very deep almost too deep there's almost too much shit going on in the game there's yeah. you know you get these shards from enemies that allow you to i think it's almost like order of ecclesia where you can use enemy skills then you have all this equipment and these weapons different weapon types you can cook dishes and you have to find ingredients there are tons of side quests that you have to do people all around the castle that you have to do shit for there's a lot it's a very dense game so that might turn some people off i think actually i think it's too dense in some ways i think it yeah. kind of pared that back a little bit I've had similar complaints about other games that I've played recently, but it's very good. I do recommend it. Now, well, that's great. The other game that I'm playing here, I want to make sure that I'm not skipping any. Did anyone write in about this game that I wrote down? Oh, Sophia Norwich wrote in about this. Oh, Sophia, yeah. Sophia is uh, the new writer of my series SideQuest. And by the way, new episode of SideQuest went up today all about Ouya, which is now dead officially. <laughs> Just what a surprise. Guys, and just in case you guys want to know. Who could have said, seen that coming? She said, hey, boss and others. So, Colin, you just had a game-breaking bug which killed your progress and bloodstained. I myself once suffered a broken PS2 memory card and lost everything. I was devastated. Losing progression, no matter how it occurs, is easily one of the worst things a player can experience in gaming. So my question to the both of you is, what's the most painful moment you can recall where a save, save, save state glitched, got deleted, or was somehow lost? Did you ever return to the game, or was the moment so heartbreaking? 
It killed all your motivation to go back. Oh, my God. I lost multiple memory cards back in the day when you lose a ton of yeah, saves at once. I'm sure this happened. I think, actually, when I was a kid, I, I 100%ed Crash Bandicoot 1, which is notoriously hard, by the way. Like, even recently in the new... In the, I think it's even harder in the new one, but, like, back then it was, like, really tough. And I 100%ed it, and I was like, yes, I fucking... I 100%ed this ridiculously hard game. Even back then, I was like, yeah. And then I think my dog chewed up the memory card because I had it laying on my bed because I was bringing it to like a friend's house and I just forgot about it and like that was pretty devastating I don't think I've 100% of that game again since so remember when you used to have to bring memory cards with you with games yeah and then PS2 had that really convenient memory card holder inside the case I think games in the did case. as well yeah there was like a oh that's right there yeah was like an indent where you can actually plop, plop your memory card yeah in. that was cool pretty clever yeah now you just send your stuff to the cloud thank god for that by the way Chris, the other game that I want to talk about quickly, sure. I've been playing in somewhat secret. I revealed last last week. I've been playing Persona 4 Golden on Vita finally. Ah, you've this cracked. Is, this is like my third time trying to get through the game, like trying to play it. I got a few hours in both times. And I'm like, eh, about 15 hours in now. I really like it. Yeah. I think it's a really a lot of fun. And it's incredibly systemically deep. It's a little bit confusing. It's very Japanese. Yeah. It's very melodramatic. But it's fun. It's fun turn-based RPG. It's got a lot of things to upgrade. It's got amazing music. I, I really find this Japanese pop music quite appealing. Yeah. No, the music's always been good in Persona games from what I've seen or so, from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So just wanted to throw that out there. I, I assume I'll talk about it more in the weeks and months to come because I imagine it's going to take a long time for me to get through. I basically have been playing it in bed before I go to bed at night or in the morning for like an hour or two. That's when I play it. And you're on your Vita or? On my Vita. Wow. Oh. And uh, it's it's good. I really like it. Just want to throw I want to throw that out there for everyone. Now, Brian Barlog wrote into us and said, hello, gents. As I replay new game plus on Persona 5, I'm reminded that this two year old game long longer for Japan has never once received an update in this day and age. That's insane to think of. This game is huge with lots of different things that can happen. And it was all polished before release. I know you're both chomping at the bit to play the game. So have at it. <laughs> what if every game was launched in this state? Well, every game would take as fucking long to make as a Persona title, I guess. I did want to throw that out there. Persona 5 is going to be next on my list when I get through Persona 4. But I, I found that unbelievable. Persona 5 has never been updated. Yeah, good. Pretty interesting. That never yeah, that's how uh, That's how things used to be. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> games used to work? Yeah. And even when games used to be launched kind of broken, that would just be the game and people would have fun with it anyway. Like Halo 2 is notoriously broken and still it's like highly regarded as one of the most competitive and... You know, one of the most renowned uh, arena shooters ever. So you would think you would want to sell your game in a working condition for obvious reasons, but also because it costs money to submit updates and QA and stuff like that. That's always been confusing to me. I'm like, you're just wasting money by yeah. not by not perfecting the game before it goes gold. Yeah. Finally, Chris, before we get into the news, Eugene Lanzioni wrote into us and said, Dear Colin Moriarty and Christopher Reagan, which of the following recent spiritual successor video games is most likely to spawn a rebirth of the spiritual successor. Okay. So Bloodstained, 2D Castlevania. Not really 2D Castlevania. It's really 2D Metroidvania. Felseal, Final Fantasy Tactics. Or Wargroove, which is Advance Wars. That game looks great. Hmm. Also, feel free to sub in a non-Nintendo-related IP for Wargroove and Advance Wars. So he's asking, will Bloodstained encourage the return of Metroidvania Castlevania games? Will Felseal encourage the return of Final Fantasy Tactics? Or will Wargroove encourage the return of advanced wars huh you know honestly I, I don't think any of these are high profile enough to really spark any kind of 
dramatic rebirth of an entire genre. But I mean, of the three, probably, probably Wargroove. Yeah, I would agree. I would imagine. Just because I think Advance Wars is the most likely franchise to actually come back. Yeah. So there is a Final Fantasy Tactics like Square Enix game coming to mobile in Japan. And who the fuck knows what Konami is doing. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's the right answer. Mm-hmm. I think that's objectively actually the right answer. And finally, Brian Chisano wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, please pronounce Felseal Arbiter's Mark with a Boston <laughs> accent. Thank you. And you're welcome. Well, what is that? Felseal Abbott is Mac? Felseal Abbott is Mac. <laughs> Abbott is Mac. Felseal Abbott is Mac. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. More, more. Uh, <laughs> good lord, that accent is uh, horrible. Fascinating. It was voted second most sexiest accent, by the way. It's like, listen, that's not true. <laughs> I lived there for a long time. There ain't nothing sexy about that accent. And what's funny is like, who gets it and who doesn't? Like, Erin is a asshole. Her family are longtime assholes. Her dad sounds like this, but she doesn't sound like that at all. She doesn't yeah. have an accent. So my mom sounds very, very New York. My mom does too. Yeah, yeah. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. Let's do it. There's quite a bit to get through. There's been a lot of booby trouble brewing, so I wanted to get start with that. <laughs> Number one, there has been major confusion brewing about an interview Final Fantasy VII Remake's director Tetsuya Nomura gave to long-running Japanese gaming publication Weekly Famitsu, particularly in regard to the breasts of the character Tifa, which were quite large in the 1997 PS1 original. Translations of this interview have swirled, seeming to indicate that forces of Square at Square Enix somehow asked Nomura to make Tifa's breasts smaller or somehow edit the character, and that something called an ethics committee at Square Enix made these demands. However, this doesn't seem to be the case, according to what is apparently a rock-solid translation from Kotaku's Brian Ashcraft. And by the way, there are tons of other better translations that were originally making the rounds. Famitsu asks a question he translates as, quote, since Tifa's chest is large, was there any consideration also given how this rendering was done, end quote? And this question is being asked, by the way, on the back of talking about accessories and clothing and what the characters look like. So that's kind of the context. Right. So that's what's asked. Nomura answered, according to Ashcraft, quote, First of all, since we wanted Tifa to have defined abs, we made her more athletic looking. And then there were also directions from our internal ethics committee that is to not make even the most intense action look unnatural. It was necessary to bind Tifa's chest. And thus, for her simple upper body clothing, we put a black undergarment with a fitting tank top for a fitness conscious, sporty design. And quote, that's what was said. So this sparked some sort of problem. I don't I don't really get it. <laughs> I, I don't get it, really. I don't get it. It's. You know, and I got into it with some people this weekend about it, and I look at this situation and I'm like, you're basing this all on assumptions of of a conversation that never happened. And then you're talking down to people who are subject to the mistranslations instead of being journalists and finding someone in your orbit that speaks Japanese. And there are plenty of them. I know them. Yeah. And translate Famitsu for yourself. And then you'll realize that what they're saying is, is that they just wanted her boobs not to jiggle. In fact, from my point of view, this is a not inoffensive comment. This is a comment that should actually please the PC crowd, because what they basically said was like, can you not make Tifa's gigantic boobs bounce around when she's when she's fighting? And they were like, "Okay, yeah, 
And that was basically the long and the short of it. It's yeah. so strange. No wonder that these guys, especially in Japan, don't want to talk to anyone. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. Why would you? So a lot of people took umbrage with this, and I took umbrage with it too because it's just another easy way for people to score on quote unquote gamers or make or like just straw man. Yeah. Like it's just straw manning something so you can be mean to people. Well, the thing is, too, is like I feel like there's an inherent incentive nowadays, specifically with a lot of these like it's not print media, but, you know, article based like sites to kind of just get a story out there immediately to get eyes on it. And then you can issue a correction. And then that's a whole new swath of people coming in to check the correction. So that's like a second wind for the article. Basically, I feel like you have more people checking in on the articles if you correct them later. Possibly. It's it, it, I also think that that could be true. I think, I think is. that is true. But I also get concerned. I mean, you see this on Twitter all the time, right? Like something gets 50,000 retweets, but it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Then it's corrected and it gets like 500 retweets. Like you're seeing that recently with all the drama on the southern border where people are sending all these pictures around. Yeah. Look yeah. at the and like they're all from the Obama administration. And so everyone retweets them. And then everyone, when the correction is like, these are from Obama's administration, everyone's like, oh, never mind. All right. Next, next tragedy. You know, so that's the thing that bothers me is like, you got to you got to get to the nugget of and and the meat of what is being said and why it's being said, etc. And if you're not going to do that hard work, then you leave yourself open to criticism. And I don't give a fuck who you are. If your article sucks, I'm going to tell you it sucks. You know, if you're going to put it out there and try to try to be cute and try to like straw man and all that kind of stuff. Too bad. Like. If you put your stuff out in the wild, you're going to get that back. I get it back all the time. So I was really disappointed with this because I thought this was kind of like a celebratory thing almost. If you look at the real translation of being like, yeah, uh, she's not going to have dead or alive bouncing tits that are going to smack her in her face when she's, ba- you know, because we yeah. we're, we gave her a sports. I bra. mean, also, it's a PS1 game. <laughs> like, right. I mean, I feel like the renders back then are kind of exaggerated yeah. for the purpose of, you know actually being translatable to the fucking human eye. She had triangle teats. Yeah. It's like Laura Croft. Yeah, exactly. You know? So had a start there, but it really is much ado about nothing. Yeah. Boob trouble indeed. Everything is really much ado about nothing, honestly. Number two, that same controversial weekly Famitsu interview with Final Fantasy VII Remake director Tetsuya Nomura did net a couple of other interesting tidbits, however, as relayed by website Gamatsu. Perhaps most interesting of the bunch is that the infamous cross-dressing event at the Honey Bee Inn in Midgar is remaining in the remake. This was, of course, a key question as Final Fantasy VII launched back in 1997 when transgender issues weren't being discussed pretty much at all. In the scene in question, Cloud cross-dresses as a female prostitute to gain access to a character. Nomura says that some char- some changes have been made to the scene, however, perhaps alluding to toning down uh, its more lurid elements. It, it did kind of suggest if I recall in the game that it's like a little, some of it is involuntary. What's going on in this place, I think is kind of the insinuation. Mm-hmm. It's been a little while. Additionally, the game will have dialogue options, which is for the most part, a completely new addition. And there's new content surrounding the core experience we're familiar with. One of the things that they said, which I thought was interesting was that MP magic points will need to be replenished by items. So I don't know if that means that you can like save or use tents or ins. I'm sure you can too, but there's been a real tradition in recent Japanese role-playing games for the most part to just refill magic points after a battle's over or as you walk around, it happens in tails, etc. So I like that you're not gonna be able to spam your magic, which as we said yesterday, you're not gonna, or last week, you're not gonna be able to do anyway because you have to earn your right to use magic in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, which is a neat, really neat idea. I agree. Number three, Ape Escape may just be readying for a comeback or <laughs> Sony could just be celebrating its old school cartoonish franchise. 
It's still hard to tell. The confusion rests with Sony launching a new official Twitter account for the series 20th anniversary in Japan, while also releasing a video in Japanese that celebrates all 14 core games in the series, ranging from the 1999 original Ape Escape on PS1 through the PlayStation Move using PS3 game Ape Escape Move. Before that, the last Ape Escape release for consoles were 2005's Ape Escape 3 and 2006 Ape Escape Million Monkeys, both on PS2, the former of which, website Gamatsu Notes, was actually rated for release on PS4 by the ESRB back in 2015, but never actually saw the light of day. There were four PSP games in there as well, beginning in 2005. It makes sense that all of this would lead to a new announcement of some sort, especially with Sony going through the trouble of setting up a Twitter account and putting together a video. My assumption is that this will either lead to a new Ape Escape game or maybe a collection because if you watch the trailer, they show a bunch of these different games. Yeah. And I know that they're trying to celebrate the whole thing, but could it be some sort of compilation? Is that why Ape Escape 3 never came to PS4 as it was planned to? I would love this, by the way. It's been I, I never really played the majority of the series, but Ape Escape 1 is like one of my favorite PS1 games, period. So You're a fan of Spike? I'm a fan. Of, I, I just like the way that game controlled, especially at the time. It's yeah, so the, like interesting. With the DualShock controls. Yeah, entirely yeah. DualShock based. And like the face buttons were like weapon switches. It was so cool. Still still a great game. We'll I think. probably hear about this, I assume, at some point. I don't know. I, I, It seems hard to believe that they're just making this Twitter account. They're just making these videos to celebrate Ape Escape. Yeah, uh, that's a little weird. Unlikely. I think it's going to be a collection of yeah. some kind. Pro- nice. if, if only just for like the, the original three, maybe. But I don't know. Who knows? A lot of those games are stranded on PSP. So it'd be interesting to see what they would do with those as well. Number four, as Chris alluded to last week, it seems that Respawn Entertainment's upcoming Star Wars game, Jedi Fallen Order, is actually some sort of nonlinear Metroidvania type game. This was for some reason not at all effectively communicated by publisher Electronic Arts during its pre-E3 stream. Website Push Square points to a video from Game Informer featuring Respawn's Jeff Magers, who confirms that in Metroidvania style, the game's protagonist will learn new Jedi skills and find various pieces of equipment that will both open new areas of the game and make revisiting old areas worth your while. As the game takes place across multiple planets, you can use your ship to get between them at will. This approach is totally new for Respawn, a studio founded in 2010 in the remnants of the original Infinity Ward, the Activision-owned Call of Duty team. Respawn's other two major games, Titanfall and Titanfall 2, are both as far from non-linear as can be imagined, and as is Apex Legends, the team's smash hit battle royale title. So such information about Jedi Fallen Order is far from a given. Mark Elfering wrote in and said, Gents, why do games insist on not really telling us what they're about? Jedi Fallen Order is apparently a Metroidvania only revealed via off-topic conversation at E3. Would it not benefit the company to explain the game and generate hype? Also, friends, remember to fuck in those dog costumes. <laughs> God damn it. So you brought this up briefly last week, yeah. Chris, and I went and investigated this a little bit. They really didn't say this it, like when it when it counted. I don't yeah. I thought it was like a linear shooter. Well, I feel like it's that's a weird thing to get across naturally without just saying, hey, this is a Metroidvania. You know, like God of War has Metroidvania elements in it, too. And like sure. that wasn't even remotely hinted at at all, like leading up to release or even kind of during while I was playing. I was like, oh, this is a Metroidvania kind of you got to get like new weapons and like go back and like, you know, I think it's just kind of a difficult thing to highlight during an E3 presentation, especially with a 3D game. I feel like this is a lot more easy to get across in like a, a 2D kind of thing where you can. Oh, he's going up. Oh, he's going left and right. Whoa, how neat. But I do think they, they really dropped the ball and not highlighting this at all. At least show the fog of war, you know, or like something like that. Yeah, it's very strange because because it looked like just um, it looked like Uncharted. Yeah, exactly. Know? It looked it kind of looked a little generic to me. I, I I think it looks cool, but they didn't do it justice by the way that they talked about no, it. And, for and sure. my bigger question about this, Chris, is just 
I guess you would want to make it seem like a more robust game because from my like my perspective, the way it was rolled out last year at E3 when, you know, Zim or Vince Zampella just talked about it randomly because it was clearly not planned. And it seems like a game that's really been rushed. That's my impression. And it doesn't look like a game or sound like a game that's been rushed. So you want to meet in the middle somewhere. And for people that have that impression like I do, which I think is an earned impression, you just brought this game out of fucking nowhere. And Respawn was clearly working on a ton of other shit. So really sell it, especially in the wake of Electronic Arts kind of bungling a bunch of other high profile stuff recently. It's just not it's not a good look. So I'm more excited about the game now than I was. But I, I EA didn't get me excited. I had to go and like read people's random shit that they had to say about it to let me know what EA should have let me know from the beginning. And I agree. You can't say it's a Metroidvania, but you can say like this is a nonlinear, explorative third person action game. It's yeah. not what it's not a linear game. That's all you had to say. Yeah, for sure. But then, but then you have to worry about, like, what do you say in place of Metroidvania? Do you say it's open world? Because then a bunch of people are going to be like, uh, another one of these. Yeah, that's you know? true. It's, I, I could see why they didn't necessarily want to hammer down on that messaging. But I think, I think you at least want to have some, some kind of messaging to, to show that it's not just the Force Unleashed again. You know? I think that's ideal. Number five. As loot boxes continue to come under consumer and governmental fire, publisher Electronic Arts continues to defend them. Website PC Games N relays word of the testimony given by EA's British VP of Legal and Government Affairs, Kerry Hopkins, to a subcommittee of Parliament, referring to loot boxes as, quote, surprise mechanics, unquote. Here's what Hopkins <laughs> said, uh, quote, we do think the way that we have implemented these kinds of mechanics and FIFA, of course, is our big one. Our FIFA ultimate team in our packs is actually quite ethical and quite fun, quite enjoyable to people. We do agree with the UK Gambling Commission, the Australian Gambling Commission, and many other gambling commissions that they aren't gambling. And we also disagree that there's evidence that shows it leads to gambling. Instead, we think it's like many other products that people enjoy in a healthy way and like the element of surprise and quote. It's worth noting that EA does have a substantial financial reason to protect the business of loot boxes. One dollar in every ten dollars spent on or in an electronic arts game is spent on or within FIFA alone. And EA's ultimate team revenue across all of its sports titles was eight hundred million dollars, as reported two years ago. Daniel Schiffer wrote in and said, hi, C-squared. First off, congratulations on 52 episodes, a full year of sacred symbols. Thank you, Daniel. Can't wait to see what the next 52 has in store. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> what are your thoughts on EA redubbing loot boxes as surprise mechanics and comparing them to kinder surprise or kinder surprises or CCGs? On one hand, it's a fair comparison of toys. But on the other hand, video games clearly have more potential to be created with gambling. Gambling influenced game design toys do not. To me, they seem like a more subtle pachinko machine with your credit card details or a pay wave that spits out an intangible toy when used. <laughs> I love that. I love the verbiage surprise mechanic. Yeah. So I'm curious what your instinct tells you on this particular story, because I read this. Actually, before I even say that, I do. I should I should introduce this from Ruben Barrett as well. Another one of our listeners, because I did not watch it. OK. He says, hi, guys, I'm sure by now you've watched the EA loot box court video. I just wanted to say, regardless of your opinions on loot boxes, I don't think I've ever seen a video of someone looking so guilty and ashamed of what they are saying or doing. It was amazing, especially when she's done talking and has a look of utter shame on what she said. She looks like she just ran over a puppy. Mike. And so we'll talk about this, but I didn't watch it. And I say that only, Chris, because I read this and I'm like, I don't really disagree with her. <laughs> you know, like what? I don't really disagree with this. This Carrie Hop is what is her name? Carrie, Carrie Hopkins of EA. Yeah, she says we do think the way that these have been implemented, these kind of mechanics and FIFA, like she's basically saying they're quite ethical and quite fun and quite enjoyable to people. It's funny when you read it because it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, but I agree with her. Like, why are people so upset about about loot boxes? 
I understand if you're upset from a mechanical standpoint, but that's yeah. not what people are upset about here. They're upset about these guys just selling loot boxes. And guys, here's what you do about loot boxes. Don't buy them. And if you don't want your kids to buy loot boxes, be a parent. Otherwise, yeah, sure. I don't really understand what like the argument is here. Like what she's saying is true. People actually do enjoy these. FIFA makes enormous amounts of money selling this stuff. So does NHL. So does Madden. And no one's holding a gun to anyone's head to buy them. Right. So people are chasing after EA, I think, as usual, because it's EA and not because of the the the, the heart of the matter, the artichoke heart, let's say, Chris, which mm. is that it's a choice-based mechanic. If you have a problem with them doing it because they're charging you $60 for a game, that's a different story. But that's not really an ethical question, right? That's not really a legal question. It's a value kind of proposition kind of question. What do you think about What do you think about what I just said? Because that's not a popular opinion, what I just said, at all. People that have been making fun of this chick for days now. That people like loot boxes? Not that people like loot boxes. That this Kerry Hopkins chick from EA... Didn't do any. Didn't really say or do anything wrong. She's basically telling the truth. Like, I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know what the video is, so I can't comment on the video. I, I didn't Parliament. even know that there was a thing. Yeah, I didn't even know this. This was a thing that was happening. But I will say that I just think I find the messaging of surprise mechanics very amusing. Just from like a vert, because it reminds me of that George Carlin bit about like, you know, soft language, about how it's just like just admit it's just like it's a gambling thing. It's fine. Whatever. Just admit it. You're fine. People, if people want to spend that money, they'll spend that money. And if people don't, they won't. But just like a surprise mechanic. It's, it's not an assassination. It's a surprise permanent knockout. Right. It's like, what? Just calm down. Yeah, I think. I don't the, know. Be transparent. Yeah, the PR or the, it's not even PR, the marketing. The marketing. The marketing it. speak is really shitty. But I just totally disagree that it's gambling. Like, I totally disagree with that. I just do not agree with that, that notion at all. And mm. because it's not gambling to go buy fucking Pokemon cards. It's not gambling to go buy any like hockey cards. It's not gambling to buy those eggs that you buy in Japan or in, in, in Japantown. Like that's not gambling. I guess, but you don't have to pay for the, for the, you buy, when you buy a Pokemon card or like a pack of Pokemon cards, that's it. You haven't spent $60 for the privilege to then buy Pokemon cards. You know what I mean? You're not buying something that facilitates that ability. Yeah, but, that, like if the thing that you're paying for is useless unless you have to spend more money. It just feels I, I don't know. I agree there's with you. There's something off about it. And there's I think something it, maybe off about, it, but it's not gambling. I don't know. Right? Like the British and the Canadians and others, Australians have all rendered. This is going through now the U.S. Mm. where we love gambling, so this is definitely not going to be a problem here. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm just. I just see this. Uh, people like for us to shoot straight and be fair, right? And it's mm. fun to shit on EA and we've shit on EA for Anthem and all that for kind sure. of stuff, whatever. But yeah. like, I really just do not see it. I just don't get it. I really don't. You don't want your kids to use your credit card information in Fortnite. Don't give your kids access That's to fucking insane. Fortnite. It blows my mind. You know, you don't want your kids to buy things. Be a parent. Yeah. Uh, when my parents it's told parent me to do thing. something, I either didn't do it or there was a fucking consequence. You know, yeah. like I, I really just I'm, I'm upset by, you know, I can't my kids doing this and the game. It's like, yo, just take the fucking switch away from your kid. Then your 10 year old child. Are you the parent? Yeah, you shouldn't really <laughs> you shouldn't. If you if you can't control whether or not your kids are spending thousands of dollars on Fortnite, you're probably you're probably not doing a good job in the first place. It's like Jerry Seinfeld said in his 1998 special. I'll tell you for the last I'm telling you for the last time. If you have blood on your laundry or what does he say? If you have blood on your shirts, laundry might not be your biggest problem right now. Yeah, which is of course the uh, Tide commercial where they yeah. show like Tide you can get getting, blood out of your clothes. Yeah. 
You've that was, his, that was supposed clothes. to be his you last. <laughs> that was supposed to be his last stand-up, right? Yeah. How funny is that? I loved that. He just I, kept going. That was one of my fir- my first DVD purchases when I was. Yeah, out. same. Yeah. I love the intro when they're all at the casket and and Gary yeah. Shandling is like stealing jokes out of it. <laughs> Number six, Bernie Sanders is officially the first major presidential candidate in American electoral history to endorse the game developer unionization, which has been a hot button topic around the world over the last few years. His endorsement came via Twitter and other avenues of social media where he said, quote, the video game industry made $43 billion in revenue last year. The workers responsible for that profit deserve to collectively bargain as part of a union. I'm glad to see unions like the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees and the broader Game Workers Unite movement organizing such workers, end quote. Sanders linked out to an article from Time published earlier in June, which discusses the matter more in depth. I thought this was pretty significant. We don't typically talk about politics unless they're germane to our show. So we talked about tariffs. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this, too, because unionization obviously is a big topic in Western Europe and in the United States in the game industry. Bernie Sanders is the first to acknowledge this movement. And Bernie Sanders is a major political candidate and a major political figure in the United States, which Americans know, I think, inherently. I think a lot of people around the world know, but he's probably in the top three biggest names in American politics. So probably, yeah, that's a big deal. I don't think he's going to win the primary. I don't think he's going to be president, obviously, but his support is uh, interesting because I will. I wonder, is he such a trendsetter? On his side of the oh, aisle. Other people are definitely going to talk, start talking about it now. Yeah. For sure. So I, that's why I wanted to bring it up is just that when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, that's pretty interesting. Politicians never talk about video games unless it's negative. Ever. Ever. Yeah. They never have something nice to say about video games. <laughs> yeah. So because this is actually concurrent to like the loot box legislation going through the House and the Senate. Yeah. So, yeah, it was interesting. I'm not a Bernie Sanders fan. As you guys know, I consider myself a moderate conservative. He's certainly not my kind of guy, but this is newsworthy. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Next up is number seven. It seemed impossible, but it's actually happening. Disaster Report 4 is coming to the West. The game's full title is Disaster Report 4 Summer Memories, and though it's coming to PS4, it was actually originally designed as a PS3 game and was coincidentally supposed to come out on March 10th of 2011, the day before the devastating 2011 earthquake that hit Japan. However, it was coincidentally delayed out of that date and then canceled outright after the earthquake due to the game being about trying to get out of an obliterated city in one piece. It was lost in limbo until years later when a new publisher, Granzella, acquired the game and the IP from Irem, its original publisher and developer. The version of the game came out in Japan in 2018, but won't come to Western PS4s until 2020. This is really cool. This game has been lost forever. And for people that were around and remember this, multiple games that were Japanese that came around out around the time of the earthquake were canceled or delayed indefinitely. The most prominent PlayStation game this happened to is, of course, MotorStorm Apocalypse, the uh, the game that came out, I think, in the, or was supposed to come out, I think, a, a few weeks later and was just never released in Japan, as far as I know, and came out months and months later in, in the West and no one gave a shit. So yeah. and that, of course, was by Evolution, who then did Drive Club, who is now gone. Oh, man. So really just an interesting provenance to this. NIS, I think, is publishing it. It's also coming to other platforms, I think, PC and Switch, if you're interested. But it's cool to see Disaster Report 4 coming out because this game was just lost forever. It just didn't seem like it was ever going to come out. It's interesting. I wonder when we'll get to Six Days in Fallujah. Yeah, pro- that the Six Days in Fallujah <laughs> is interesting, too, because that game was finished. I yeah. don't know who I think Konami might still own the, hold the rights to that game. 
But yeah, that was a. I wrote a lot about that when I was at IGN because that really annoyed the shit out of me that that game was canceled. Yeah. Number eight, not everyone is excited about the next generation of consoles, particularly Atushi, I'm sorry, Atushi Inaba, the head of Japanese studio Platinum Games, the team founded by Inaba, as well as longtime Resident Evil director and producer and current head of Bethesda-owned studio Tango Gameworks and Devil May Cry and beautiful Joe director Hideki Kamiya back in 2007. In an interview with Video Game Chronicle, Anaba was asked about what he thought of the upcoming consoles. Here's what he said, quote, it's okay. And by that, I mean, I'm sure that things will move faster. Graphics will be better and maybe it will be easier with less wait times. That's good for the consumer. But it's more of the same, quite frankly, compared to previous generations. It's nothing that's disruptive or super innovative. If you ask me, game game hardware used to be about custom chips that you couldn't do on PCs. Now you look at it and they're just grabbing stuff that already exists. Ellipsis. That's why with for me, things like cloud platforms represent innovation and something very, very different. They're platforms that excite me and where I feel that a lot of the innovation is happening, end quote. Platinum Games' first title, Mad World, came to Wii back in 2009, the same year it launched its beloved Bayonetta franchise. Other than its other of its more famous titles include 2010's Vanquish, 2013's Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, 2017's Nier Automata, or Automata, I'm sorry, as well as the Bayonetta trilogy that has since become Nintendo-centric and licensed games using the TMNT Transformers and Legend of Korra IP. This is the first time I've heard a major studio head shitting on the new consoles, although I'm not surprised by this for two reasons. Platinum is in demand, so they can say whatever they want, and they're really in bed with Nintendo now, so not exclusively, but they're making a ton of Nintendo games. So yeah. I think it has something to do with that as well. I mean, probably. I think he's right in the sense that there is there's definitely more innovation coming from the cloud space, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot... I feel like the, the word innovation has a lot of hype behind it that I don't think is necessarily really thought about too much. I feel like people think, oh, it's innovative, but it's like innovative doesn't always necessarily mean good. I mean, like you could argue that Doom 3 innovated on what Doom was, but it was objectively like a worse thing. And you could argue that 2016 was just back to the same formula, just like slightly changed for the modern times. And it was like a better game because of it. So like, you, could, I don't know, like I feel like innovation is a, a pretty big buzzword lately. It's vague. It's, it's really vague. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I do like the candor, though. Yeah, because sure. th- these questions are legitimate questions about like, well, we, we've talked about this on the show, I think about it makes sense to not be that excited about these new consoles. I yeah. don't think we need them. Like, that's what I've said. I, I'd be perfectly happy with PS4 for five more years, I think. Yeah, but that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. And I'm sure I'll change my tune. I said the same shit about PS3, I think. So and even PSP back in the day, I think I was just like, I'm fine. So that's always going to be my default. But I did like hearing kind of candor from a major studio head saying, like, I'm not really that excited about any of this. This is cool. But uh, and and I especially like the idea of like, well, these things used to be different from PCs. Now they're actually these games are being built on PCs and are basically PCs. So Mm -hmm. there's something to be said about that. I appreciated the candor. I like platinum games a lot. Yeah, no, me too. Number nine, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Sony was the third most tweeted about company of E3, a feat it accomplished without actually showing up in any way whatsoever, neither with a press conference or a show floor presence. The Hollywood Reporter notes that Nintendo won the show in terms of Twitter engagement with Xbox coming in second. Interestingly, each major press conference trended number one on Twitter concurrent to that presentation's runtime. Final Fantasy VII Remake was Twitter's most tweeted about game, not surprisingly, with Cyberpunk 2077 coming in second place. The Avengers from Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix was the fifth most tweeted about game. Pretty much the rest of them are all Nintendo games on that list. So that's just interesting. Sony, that must make Sony happy. Uh, Yeah. They didn't even have to spend any money. They didn't show up. They didn't have to do anything. No preparation, no disruption to their company. That's the major thing. They didn't have to disrupt themselves at all for E3. It's a major disruption. To oh, for sure, yeah. to developers. You got to build a demo. You got to build a demo. You got to get your shit built. You got it's a huge 
fucking ordeal. Yeah. It's just for everybody. You gotta send chunks of your team out there. Yeah. To just stand around and show people a thing that's probably not even representative of what they're going to be getting in several months time. Massive distraction. Yeah. Finally, Chris, number 10 is a wrap up. Website Silicon Arrow reports that cute platformer Gabucci is coming to PlayStation 4 on June 18th. Or I'm sorry, July 18th. That game looks really cool. And publisher Electronic Arts has revealed the cover athlete for NHL 20, the upcoming entry in EA's long-running and well-liked hockey series. Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs will be on the cover of this year's game, which launches on September 13th on PlayStation 4 and elsewhere. And Chris, that is all the news for this well, week. Well, would you look at that? We do have new game releases to get through. I assume as tradition dictates that you will go first. Yeah, I'll do that. Let's do it. There's a lot, by the way. Yes. It seems like a, quite a bit of a quite, quite, quite a bit of a list. A cash path of the five comes to PS4 as the first elemental girl the village of Akash has seen in over 200 years. All eyes are on her fast approaching coming of age ceremony. All is not lost, it seems. Wait, wait, wait. What does that say? All is not as it seems, however, as tensions between Akash and a nearby human settlement threaten to erupt into all out war. Doesn't really say much about what it is. No. Attack of the toy tanks comes to PS4 and Vita. War is coming, whether you're ready for it or not, soldier, and attack of the toy tanks across the game's 60 levels in the main campaign. Players must take control of the provided vehicles of war and battle it out across different arenas and be the last tank standing. <laughs> Car Mechanic Simulator comes to PS4. Build and expand your repair service empire in this incredibly detailed and highly realistic simulation game, where attention to car detail is astonishing. Find classic, unique cars in the new barn find what barn find module yeah and junkyard module mm. all right car mechanic simulator also includes car auctions where old cars are available for your collection interesting i wonder if they have licenses to use real cars or not. yeah counterfight 3 comes to psvr let's make pizzas and pasta quickly and accurately defeat the bad guys and become world famous counterfight 3 is a simulation game where the players become a chef of a pizza store and provide meals to unique customers who appear one after another F1 2019 comes to PS4. F1 2019 challenges you to defeat your rivals in the most ambitious F1 game in Codemasters history. F1 2019 features all the official teams, drivers, and all 21 circuits from the season. This year sees the inclusion of F2 with players <laughs> available to compete, which, uh, with players able to compete in the 2018 season. What's F2? I don't know. Is that like the... the I could have sworn it was just F1, but yeah. I mean... Yeah. Is that like the, the minor league or something? Yeah, look, look, man. You're asking the wrong man. Furwind comes to PS4 and Vita. Furwind is a colorful pixel art style action platformer game that evokes the challenging classics of the old days. Embark on this epic adventure in which a little fox will fight the ominous darkness that is invading its world. Irony Curtain from Matryoshka with Love comes to PS4. Irony Curtain from Matryoshka with Love is a satirical point-and-click inspired by the classic adventure games. It, sm it smuggles you out of your comfort zone and throws you into the middle of a Cold War spy intrigue where there's an even bigger game being played. All I like right. smuggles you out of your comfort zone. It's a great term. Kid Trip comes to PS4 and Vita. Kid Trip has crashed on a mysterious island and now the local wildlife is out to ruin his day. Run and jump your way through 20 levels of intense platforming madness in this tough as nails platformer. Have you got what it takes to help Kid Trip escape? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Medusa and her lover comes to PSVR. Believe, Ellipsis, that one day you may gaze upon each other once again, Ellipsis. The story of Medusa, whose gaze turns all upon whom it falls to stone, and Gaios, her lover. Two players can take on the, the respective roles of Medusa and Gaios for local co-op play. 
also supports a slightly trickier playstyle in which one player takes on both roles. Interesting. I think PSVR might be a mistake. This must be coming to PS4 because it says co-op. Oh, weird. Yeah. Can you imagine co-op PSVR? Jesus. I'm sure the resolution will be great. Monster Jam Steel Titans comes to PS4. Real trucks, real action. Monster Jam, Monster Jam Steel Titans delivers the complete Monster Jam experience for everybody to enjoy. All the trucks stun stadiums racing in massive air in one game. Play in various game modes, including stadium and outdoor racing, various stunt challenges, and destruction modes. <laughs> Nekopara Volume 3 comes to PS4. The third incarnation of the ever-popular heartful adventure of ne uh, Nekopara is here. A whole new story will be told with Maple and Cinnamon as the new main characters. <laughs> updates for the consoles. <laughs> Update for the, updates for the console includes an all-new uh, opening movie, new opening music, and improved full HD graphics. Cinnamon and Maple. That's definitely... I think I met them at a strip club in Vegas once. <laughs> Paper Dolls Original comes to PS4. Paper Dolls Original is a first-person horror game with a hint of Asian culture. Explore an eerie, ancient Chinese house with caution in search of your missing daughter. Only by conquering fear can you survive, but when you think it's over, the real story begins. <sighs> oh, God, crucify me. Uh, Pool Nation FX comes to PS4. Pool Nation is the ultimate pool simulator for PlayStation 4. Prepare yourself for pix pixel-perfect physics and photorealistic graphics. Play live matches seamlessly online. Compete in leagues and explore our unique rule set uh, customization tool. Pool Nation flawlessly blends reality with the impossible resulting in the finest example of digital pool ever. Gotta love that digital pool. Yeah, love it. Samurai Showdown comes to PS4. After nearly 10 years out of the spotlight, Samurai Showdown is back with a vengeance. 13 beloved fighters return along with three new to do battle on this legendary stage. Featuring updated graphics, gameplay, and a revolutionary new feature that learns players' actions to create challenging ghost CPU-controlled combatants. Pretty cool. Big fan of uh, Sh Samurai Showdown. My brother, Dagan. Very excited about that game. Alrighty. The Sinking City comes to PS4. The Sinking City is an adventure and investigation game set in an open world inspired by the universe of H.P. Lovecraft, the master of horror. The half-submerged city of Oakmont is gripped by, a supernatu by supernatural forces. You're a private investigator, and you have to uncover the truth of what has possessed the city and the minds of its inhabitants. Ooh. That sounds kind of neat. Yeah, it does. Spider-Man Far From Home comes to PSVR. Your time to swing through New York like Spider-Man has finally arrived. In breathtaking virtual reality, you'll finally have the chance to scale and swing from the highest towers in Manhattan. Just pick one of four Spider-Man suits and you'll be launched into the clouds. But keep your eyes and ears peeled. A colossal and dangerous enemy is awaiting. That's weird. That's a movie tie-in. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't. You don't see much of those. Oh, what is this? Super <laughs> Neptunia RPG. Is that what it is? Yep. Comes to PS4. Neptune, stricken with amnesia. Awakes in a mysterious world where 2D reigns supreme. With a little help from her friends, Neptune embarks on a journey to regain her memory, save the world, and 3D games as we know it. Do you know what Neptunia is about, the series? Not at all. The, in fact, when it said Neptune was stricken by amnesia, I thought it was talking about the, the planet, planet for a second. Yeah, or the god. Yeah. Uh, Neptunia is actually pretty interesting. I don't like the, to play the games, but Neptunia is a series that is... A mm, an analogy for the console war, and that's what the story's about. Oh, that's kind of neat. And there's different characters or different entities that represent like the different consoles, like and the type of person. Right, like, right. Like, that so, sounds kind of like a neat premise, at least. Yeah. So that's you know it's a niche thing. War Tech Fighters comes to PS4. 
Wartech Fighter is the space action game that combines the spectacular action of Japanese anime with Hollywood blockbusters. Configure, upgrade, and customize your Wartech and dive into battle to fight back the Zatronian forces and save your galaxy. I always feel bad for people that have to just make up things. Yeah, like just Zatronian. Like Zatronian. Zatronian. Yeah. <laughs> we the Revolution comes to PS4. We the Revolution is a unique game with a singular art style set in the blood-soaked and paranoid world of the French Revolution, where often you could not tell a friend from an enemy. Engage in a mix of genres, blending, uh, blending case, what? Blending case building. Blending case build. Oh my god. Blending case building with intrigue, crafting, and turn-based tactics. I don't like hyphenated words. No. I feel like I'm teaching you how to read sometimes. Sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> Nothing out here, I don't think, really stands out. Samurai Showdown kind of stands out if you're a fighting game fan. There are some PS4 and Vita games coming out, but I don't know if these are the garbage ones that have the trophies or not. So yeah. the fact that there's a few of them in the same week indicates that one of them probably isn't, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. My, I, my assumption is Attack of the Toy Tanks is definitely one of them. And yeah. either Kid Trip... Or Furwind or one of them, but I don't know. Yeah, my 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 hope that one day we will get a, a truly great Spider-Man VR experience really makes me hope that this is what this is. But it's definitely not because I haven't heard anything about it. So whatever. Yeah. But uh, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get that. Chris, as is tradition on Sacred Symbols, let's end our episode this week with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. Although we've integrated them so well into the show so far. Yeah. Thanks to yours truly, who flawlessly writes every episode. Yeah. You're a master of segues. Well, got to be a master of something, I guess. <laughs> now, Chris. Did you know, by the way, that yeah. the, the guy who owned Segway, the guy who bought the rights to Segway, died in a Segway crash? Yeah, Did I think you know he, didn't he roll it off a cliff? Yeah, he rolled it off a cliff. That's irony. That's amazing. That's irony, right? That's I always get confused. That is irony, right? Yeah, you know no, for sure. That's like, definitely ir ironic. I guess I don't it's understand. It's not like, oh, I put bologna in my sandwich yesterday. I had I had cheese. Wow, how ironic. Right, but Alanis Morissette, you know that song, I, Ironic? It's always been made fun of because she, it, it's claimed that a lot of the things she's talking about isn't aren't irony. But that's the ironic part, though. I think that's the point of it. Do you think so? Because I think it is ironic if you can't, if like, maybe rain on your wedding day is not ironic. No. But if all, if, if what did she say? A world of spoons and all you need is a knife or whatever or something like that. It's like all you could find is a spoon. That's ironic, isn't That's, it? It's vaguely ironic. Yeah. I think the, the point of that song, though, is ironic, mm. which is that we're, we're going to get into the, the weeds here with Alanis Morris. <laughs> well, I love that record, uh, Jagged Little Pill. If you guys are out there and want to listen to it, it's a very good record. Exactly. And there's a song about her and her sexual relationship, of course, with uh, Uncle Joey from Full House, if you guys want to listen to it. Wow, that's a, that's I don't like that one. You want to know. Nah, I think not really. It's a song about them. Ah, nobody wants to know that. Where they had, where she went down on him in a theater, movie theater. Oh. That's one of the lines. That's no, Uncle, that's no, Uncle Joe. Uh, cut, cut it out, please. Yeah, cut it out. Cut it out. Cut my throat. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> First question, Chris, comes from Ryan Griffiths. He says, hi, Colin and Chris, you beautiful bastards. Do you think there is a chance we will ever see the Dead Space series return? Whether it be a trilogy remaster or a reboot of some of some kind, I was truly gutted when Visceral Games was shut as Dead Space is one of my favorite franchises of all time. Would love your input. Keep up the great work from a longtime fan in rainy England. Chris, the return of Dead Space Electronic Arts opens it. Obviously, as he said, EA owned studio Visceral no longer exists. That doesn't yeah. really I mean it matters, but it doesn't really matter if they wanted to continue it. Do you think that Dead Space will continue? No, no, I think it's dead no. space. That's <laughs> I, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe like in the far future where it's like, whoa, they're bringing that back. 
you know, like something where it's where when when Dead Space is like thirty years old, <laughs> maybe they'll they'll pull it out. But I, I I can't imagine it seeing it again anytime soon. It's a shame that they really didn't get what they had with yeah. that original game. And they, yeah, that game was so good. Yeah, the original Dead Space. I think the original Dead Space is one of the great survival horror games ever. Yeah, it's like on par with Evil like 4. Resident Evil. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And I, so I get I'm a little put off by their ruination of it by making it a little broader and a little less survival horror and stuff. It's really cool. A, a story about a mechanic who uses like his tools to fight these zombies is really neat. And I always liked it. A That's, lot. That series went through the Resident Evil phase like really like in a truncated amount of time. I feel like it, it started off as survival horror and then it got a little bit more action oriented in the second one. And then immediately it was just like, what the hell is this even? You know, well, it's, it's kind of interesting. It is interesting, too, Chris, because this came out concurrent to like that Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil 6 era when yeah. well, more Resident Evil 5 when people were like, well, what the fuck is this? We want a survival horror game. We don't want a shooter, a third person shooter. Want a, you didn't want to punch a boulder into a volcano? No, I didn't want no? to do that. No, no, no. How Resident Evil that. is that? <laughs> and so I was always a little put off because... I was like, well, we have this survival horror game that no one it's sold really well, but no one really seems to actually like. And then there's this survival horror game that's sold one people like. And he's like, oh, we'll just we're going to change it anyway. It's like, well, you, it's like when Evil Within came out years later. That's what or um, Outlast. Those were the kinds of games where people were like, oh, there's there's actually a hole for this. And Dead Space could have just filled the hole. Sorry, that sounded more disgusting than I in intended it to be. Yeah, this is always the case with you. I didn't mean it. <laughs> Adam O wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, a.k.a. the two Caesars, new patron really wanted to ask you. Well, thank you for your support. Has there ever been any games you openly mocked or never had interest in, but eventually became a fan of? I have found I used to be very close minded console warrior, but now have evolved into a very into something very eclectic. Some games I once didn't give the time of day before I become a super giant fan of like the Yakuza series, Infamous and Uncharted. Would love to hear about this, and please continue being the only honest gaming podcast out there. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Oh, that. my God. I know I'm going to kick myself in the head for this, because I, like, I, I'm like i sure there's one that I'm not thinking of. You know what I mean? Well, I wanted to use this question, Chris. You can ponder. Maybe yeah, let me ponder for it. a second. But I wanted to use this question from Adam specifically because it just goes to show you what I've said for a long time, and I really do feel this. People have got to stay and remain vigilantly open-minded as video game players. I have no problem... If you just want to sit and play Call of Duty all day or Fortnite, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. But if you're a gamer who has somewhat of a broad liking of playing multiple titles, I really get upset when people are like, oh, that's a walking simulator. Oh, that's a that's a side scroller. That's a metro. It's like just keep your mind open because yeah. I've encountered so many games in my life that I would have had no interest in. And then I played it. And I'm like, this is a fantastic experience that if you if you explain flower to me. And I just refused to play it. I would have missed out on something that is unlike anything I've ever played before. If you said something about Journey to me, or if you said something about Gone Home or Tacoma or some of these other games, I would have been like, I don't want to play that. Yeah. But I kept an open mind and went and played them. And so it's not about specific games that I might have missed or might not have missed. It's about looking at the full breadth of what games can do and being open to it. You know, and that's so important. So that Adam is saying like, He's open minded to Yakuza and stuff now. That's really fucking cool because that's a that's a pretty niche franchise. Although I was a little confused with him saying that he's now open minded to Uncharted and Infamous, which are basically the two biggest PlayStation three franchises. But well, Uncharted has that view of like, oh, it's just you just walk around and jump. It, it, I, like I remember back when I like when Uncharted, Uncharted first came out, I, I really didn't like the first one at all, like at all. Like even I thought it was actually like worse than a lot of games that I would played. Second one's great. But like I remember I remember that first one being like. I can't. I, I don't see it here, especially coming off of Jack and Baxter. 
just thought it was like a very bizarre shift in gameplay focus. Yeah, Uncharted, Drake's Fortune is is interesting. Yeah, I think I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I was really down on Call of Duty Four initially. Because that was during the time, it was, like, it was like the big games at the time were like Halo 3 and Call of Duty 4. And every time people wanted to play Call of Duty 4, I was like, wow, are you insane? Are you stupid? Do you have a brain are you a hemorrhage? idiot? Are you a casual? Are you a filthy nerd? Uh, but that game is actually great, honestly. I've come around to that kind of recently, only because I, I played it like in 2007 and never really touched it again. But the remaster is pretty good. Well, thank so. God you came to love arguably the most famous Call of Duty game. I think, no. it's, I think it's good. <laughs> I still don't love it. But I, I do I do just want to plant that seed with our audience, right? Just stay open-minded. I don't yeah. care if you don't like something. And by the way, games turn us off for all different types of reasons. Yeah. But my thing is just don't instinctively be like, ah, uh, you know, ah. Uh. Yeah. Give everything, at, give everything a chance. At, at least, least have one. context, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want a 70-hour open-world game right now because I just played a bunch of them, right? For instance. But exactly. It being a 70-hour open-world game by itself isn't necessarily the problem. Yeah, maybe you just got to play it later when it's uh, less saturated and when they're not as fresh in your mind. Maybe you have to stop being a fucking loser. I've definitely had games that I've come back to, like after not like, The Witcher 3 is a pretty good example. Like when I first played The Witcher 3, I was like, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's too long. And then I came back to it again. And I was like, okay, I got a little bit deeper into it and then fell off again. But I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to try and get back into it this summer. I think. I give have it, all a, give these, it a fair shake. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to save this for later because we're going to touch right on this right now. Okay. Demetric Edwards wrote it and said, hello, gentlemen. At what point do you just give up on playing a game in your backlog? I bought The Witcher 3's Complete Edition on sale a few years ago and realized this summer might be my last chance to play it as I begin a career teaching high school English. The problem is that the game will forever be buried behind the other things I want to play, yet I'm just not feeling The Witcher right now. At what point should I just accept that The Witcher is a game I'll never be able to fully get immersed in? This is kind of similar to what we were just talking yeah, about. I don't know if you should accept that it's never. Like, I, I, think, I think a lot of times you're, uh, you know, your place in life or like your emotions or like just like the various things that are going on in your life can dictate like how open you are to certain experiences that I've noticed. So like, you know, I would say just give it, uh, give it a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, you know, you might be into it. Like I remember when I first played Bioshock, I was like, I don't, I can't, I don't like it. I just couldn't do it. I was too afraid of it actually for real. Like it scared the shit out of me. That elevator sequence at the beginning scared the shit out of me. You're I was like, baby. I'm done. I'm done. Forget it. Never. I played it like four years later and loved, loved the hell out of it. So yeah, you just gotta just gotta wait. Never say never. Yeah, but I also say, Chris, don't feel like don't feel like you have to play. Yeah, it I feel like people's backlogs are ruinous after a while because you just feel so much pressure and it's so strange. We all feel it, right? Like I have this list of games in my head where I'm like, I really, really should play Metro Exodus, right? I really got to get the Sekiro. But yeah, then, yeah. But then all the and I probably will. I'm actually I'm certain I will. But I also like look and I'm like, I kind of just want to play. Tetris all night or I just want to play yeah. switch or what or I don't want to play anything I want to watch a TV show I think people are just that you gotta like we said earlier keep an open mind and part of that open-mindedness is saying like eh, it's it's a video game and I'll get to it when I get to it or maybe I'll just watch a let's play or familiarize yeah. myself with you should it. never feel obligated to play anything exactly exactly unless it's your literal job and even then you shouldn't that was a big thing I said to Chris when we started doing this, right? I yeah, said, yeah. I did say to Chris, I'm like, I have no expectation. I'm never going to ask you to play something. I, right. I, my expectation is that you're going to play what you want to play. And we'll talk about that and it will happen very organically. And that's the way it's worked out. We've never, in fact, in our planning document every week, I leave that open and Chris just fills it in right before. I have no idea what he played. So that's fun because I, I just, I, I don't know. I just don't know that 
forcing yourself to be well-rounded is actually a healthy thing or actually makes you well-rounded. No, I actually feel like not. if you can't absorb what you're playing, you might as well not even play it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Andrew Lee wrote in, not to be confused with Anders Lee, the New York Islanders captain, said, hey, Colin and Chris, 2019 seems to have reinforced the idea that third-party exclusives are a dying concept, if not dead altogether. Former PlayStation exclusives such as Flower, Journey, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and Detroit are making their way to the Epic Game Store. Nino Kuni Remastered is being released on both PC and Switch. And Sega has announced that Yakuza will be considered a multi-platform franchise going forward, not to mention that a PC version of Death Stranding is still rumored to be in the works as well. Personally, I think this shift in philosophy is for the better, as consumers will have more agency in what platform they wish to play these games on, as well as developers earning more sales by branching out to different platforms. First and second party output from both PlayStation and Nintendo have been gold, the gold standard, and with Microsoft aiming to match that level of production with their recent acquisitions, the concept of third party exclusive games seems to have outlived its usefulness. I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on the matter. Andrew, you are a little confused here with, with I think, the definitions, although I think you make a salient point. So... You brought up Flower, Journey, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and Detroit. Those are all second-party games. None of those are third-party games. However, you did bring up Nino Kuni, which is a third-party exclusive. So for people that don't know what the verbiage means, I'll explain it. Because I think a lot of people are um, a little confused by this and maybe embarrassed to talk yeah. about. A first-party game is a game that is published by the platform holder and developed by a studio that the platform holder owns. Or is a studio sometimes with a really close relationship, but typically, literally... Like Insomniac. With right, but but even then, I wouldn't even... I, I, I don't even like making the definition that broad. A first-party game is really a game made f- by a team that Sony or Nintendo or someone owns published by that platform holder. Yeah. A second-party game is a game published by the platform holder by a studio that they do not own. So, so that's, that's Spider-Man. So that's Spider-Man. That's Heavy Rain. That's all of that, right? Like all the Quantic Dream games, all the Insomniac games like Ratchet. Those are second party games. So Sony has a publishing relationship. They own the IP. They pay for the games. The studios are independent. Yeah. And third party uh, is just the third party else. is they can do whatever they want. But there are third party exclusives and third party platform exclusives used to be really popular because it used to be really hard to port games and expensive. And yeah. Teams were happy to just get their game on PS2. They were kind of everywhere on during the uh, initial PS3, Xbox 360 generation too. I remember that because I remember Bioshock Bioshock and Mass Effect were 360 exclusives for a while. Yep, they were. And by yeah, Bioshock didn't come to PS3 until 2008, I think. And what was interesting about the Bioshock version on PS3 was it had the the ending was new because it had Bioshock 2's trailer. I remember and teased the game for the first time. 
But yeah, third party exclusives are were really common at the beginning of PS3's life cycle too. Like mm-hmm. people, Sony didn't publish a lot of these games that were just coming, like Haze or uh, <laughs> what was that game? Folklore. There's there's a bunch of games that came Folklore. to PS3 exclusively, but Heavy uh, Heavenly Sword, for instance, was a second party game. Yeah. So the only game that was brought up in this letter was that actually is from Andrew that actually is are two games that actually are third party exclusives are Yakuza and Nino Kuni because Nino Kuni and Yakuza are not owned IP by Sony and they're just being published on those consoles for no reason other than that. That's what they felt like doing. So I agree with you, Andrew, that this is dying. Like I was always surprised. I'm like, why is Nino Kuni not on Xbox 360? Like, why wouldn't you do that? Why is Yakuza on PS3 and PS4 only? It doesn't make any sense. If I were a third party person, I put my shit everywhere. Like yeah. no shame no, whatsoever. Why, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So just nets the most people playing your games. Exactly. So, yeah, third party exclusives are certainly dying. But I think this was a good time to illustrate the definitions because I think a yeah. lot of people are confused by them. And this also puts more uh, emphasis on first party exclusives anyway. So indeed, it's good. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot more second party exclusives moving forward. Yeah, that would be this. If I owned a studio, that would be a perfect situation for me. I come up with an idea, Sony or Nintendo or Microsoft comes in and buys that idea, funds our game, we get back end points, complete security for four years, yeah, and we and don't you, own it. And you game. stay independent. Yeah. It's perfect. Exactly. That's exactly. And then if you have a good relationship, then maybe you get bought. Next question, Chris, comes from Jeff Scott, who says, hey, CNC, with the next generation of consoles looming over us, what, what style of game do you think will dominate? With 360 and PS3, we had open world sandbox, and I feel like with this generation, we've seen an explosion of looter shooter, open world, constantly updating games. Do you think developers will just keep iterating on that style or will a new competitor crop up? Sorry for any typos or incoherent sentences, Colin. I know you hate those. Jeff, you've passed the test. Chris, what do you think will define the PS5 generation? I actually am of the mind that nothing is going to define it because I think we're going to start getting a lot of the same kinds of games just in higher fidelity. Yeah, I think so, too. I think uh, I'm I'm sure there's going to be some genre. Like, I think I would argue I would argue Battle Royale is the most recent thing. I I wouldn't necessarily say looter shooters because of the looter shooters that are out. I think there's only there's only really like three or four of them what was what, that destiny anthem warframe and the division that's the only thing ones that i could think of yeah you know i'm sure you got like the smaller ones like dauntless like i guess is technically a looter shooter but yeah i don't know i think i think this next generation is going to i think we're going to see a boost in open world again specifically just because the amount of the amount of shit that you can load yeah loadless and yeah load yeah. like the idea of playing skyrim without having to load every single fucking room or like you know what i mean i think that's going to be a huge deal and I think it's probably going to be probably awesome. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't really think we're going to see like one particular genre. I agree. I kind of think that that although we might that era is kind of dead, although, yeah, again, PUBG kind of proved that I didn't know that there was I didn't even know the gaming industry had it in them to like just make something new, like really new. Yeah, I don't know that that happens so often or even every generation. So, yeah, I'd, I'd temper your expectations, as was said by Anaba from Platinum Games earlier in our show. It seems like maybe the technologies are more exciting to a lot of these guys than the actual game possibilities. Nielsen Chapman wrote into us and said, after Andrew Wilson's remarks on Anthem, which we discussed a little bit with the game industry biz, whatever the fuck that website's called, I recommended at the top. This game obviously needed more time, as did Mass Effect Andromeda and Battlefront 2. I understand EA wants to release these games before their fiscal year for shareholders. Why can't they explain to their shareholders a long-term profit in delaying the game instead of a short-term but much less profit by releasing before the fiscal year? I'm not buying any EA game until I see reviews because I know they will release a half-baked product. I want my money now. I think that a lot of it has to do with that. I mean, and I don't know that I necessarily blame the stockholders. It's a matter of, like, I own stock in companies and I want my fucking money. You know, so like, 
I don't necessarily blame. No, I don't own any video game stock, so I don't have anything to say about that. But if I were an EA shareholder and they were they were to come to me and say, like, listen, this is the profit we can extract per share. You're going to get your dividend this year or we can push and spend tons of more money and hope for the best and get possibly a lesser profit in a year. And now shareholders are going to be of multiple minds. Some of them are going to be like, I want my dividends. I'm selling my shares and I don't give a fuck what you do next year. That's one thing. So like people want their dividends. They want to make their money off their stock and they want to sell. They have no interest in being patient. That's part of being on the market. And then the other people are going to be like, well, maybe patience is the right thing. But I don't know that EA is a blue chip stock. So I don't think you're like going to hold it in hopes that it's going to turn into a thousand dollar Amazon stock one day by playing it right. Yeah. You know, so. I understand this argument, but I think that a lot of it comes from some sort of fiscal ignorance from people that don't really understand. And I don't mean that as an insult, but from some people that don't really understand that, like people's real money is invested in these companies. And that has to be part of the conversation. Like some of your 401ks probably are wrapped up in mutual funds that have EA money and Activision money and shit in them. So you actually out there probably have an interest in getting Anthem out sooner, too. Now, maybe not as a gamer, but my guess here, Chris, is that if they held Anthem, they would have spent more money and made worse optics for themselves and made less money on the back end and their shareholders would have been fucking furious with them next year when they could have extracted the value they did out of it right away. So I understand both arguments, but I'm coming at it from a shareholder kind of position where I'm like, yeah, I don't blame them. I want them. I would want my money. You know, why wouldn't I? It's my money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I suppose they're definitely shooting themselves in the foot constantly, though. I agree. You should read again. Read the interview, everybody, that I said at the beginning at the top of the show. Gives you a lot of insight. I'm not saying it makes Andrew Wilson sympathetic because I don't think that that's true at all. But it does give a lot of insight into how that company works and how complicated it is to make it work. Yeah. And I would believe that. But 10,000 people. But it's just it, it is hilarious. Like just the, I, don't, I, don't even think, I, don't, I don't even think they have any foot left to shoot. <laughs> like it's insane. Now they're shooting themselves in the in the thigh. Eli Boisfort wrote in and said, congrats on a year, gents. I was wondering if either of you have seen the article from Steven Totillo of Kotaku about Microsoft saying Xbox Live wasn't a free speech platform. With Sony ramping up censorship in the games and Microsoft now playing speech police, I was wondering what your thoughts were. It seems like to me, both of them are pushing the lines between a platform and a publisher recently, much like many of the other online tech companies like Facebook and YouTube. What kind of damage could this do to not only online gaming, the online gaming industry, but even to the games industry as a whole? I don't uh, really I don't, know, I don't know that. It, if, I don't yeah. know if I really agree that it's really like it's it, they're not being censorious. It's not a matter of like they're taking games and making them and, and changing them for, for like a, a more sensitive audience. They're just like, hey, you can't say whatever you want on our platform, which is pretty much the, it's always been the case for Xbox Live. And I'm sure it's been the case for PSN for a long time. Yeah, no one operates PSN. So yeah, if you so- send like even back in the day, like if you sent like <laughs> back in the day, if you sent like harassing messages to people on xbox live you'd get banned this is nothing new it's just reiterating a thing that's been said if they were saying like hey we're being a little bit more uh careful with how with what we brought with the games that we publish or whatever that would be like a different scenario that would be a little bit more concerning as far as like the way sony's been going about a lot of these uh the about censoring japanese games and all that but I, I don't know if this is really that big of a deal censoring anime breasts yeah i don't know if this is really of the same kind of problem. I don't know if this is at all. I don't think it's a problem at all. I think that a lot of people are really confused about what free speech means and this idea that you're allowed to say anything anywhere without consequence. Now, 
I'm a free speech warrior in the sense that I want as unmitigated as speech as possible when it's reasonable. Yeah. But if I own a platform, I if I own Twitter or Facebook, for instance, which are really at the nexus of all of this right now, because are they publishers? Are, are they company? Like, you know, do they have to be kind of impartial or whatever? My take is they're private companies and they can dictate the rules because they're not a governmental agency. If you were to if the government was to go out and tell you, Chris, you can't do podcast uh, uh, podcasting anymore, right? Yeah. That's a, an infringement on your free speech. But if I said, Chris, we're not podcasting anymore, that's not an infringement on Chris's free speech. Yeah, for sure. So I think that people need to... But well, oh, God. But also, Xbox and PlayStation are not <laughs> Facebook and Twitter. I would argue that Facebook and Twitter have a far greater monopoly on the things that they are, you know, on the spaces that they inhabit than Xbox or PlayStation does. Like there are like if you get banned from Twitter, that's a huge that's a huge deal, especially depending on the industry that you're involved in. Some people can't straight up are taking financial hits from not being allowed on Twitter, you know, and that's like something that I think deserves to be looked at. I think these companies are far too big to have the amount of leeway that they feel like they can just like, ah, fuck off. We are off our platform now. It's like, no, you your platform dictates a lot of the conversation that's happening outside of it. Right. It's the public square. Argument. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely feel that way about Facebook and Twitter. Maybe YouTube a little bit less so, but like there's no direct competitor to YouTube that could even remotely facilitate the same, you know, space. Yeah. Reach like there's no, there's no like Vimeo and like Vidme. Are you kidding? Or like what's Twitter is like Gab. Is there even a Facebook equivalent? No, but like Xbox, PlayStation, Steam, like you've got all sorts of things that basically do the same thing. You're yeah. Not, and, I, it's, and they're not platforms for speech anyway. I will say, I mean, you even see a, a kind of gradient in the way that the different platform holders deal with their platforms as well. I would call Steam about as libertarian as it gets yeah. in terms of and even nihilistic, really, in terms of like just its its community, which is one way to do it. And the market has spoken like Steam is so popular that Valve doesn't even make video games really anymore, although they did just release one. But you know, I just want people to keep in mind, like arguing for speech is different than arguing for free speech, which is a governmental thing, period. Mm-hmm. And then the fusion between, like you said, the public square and where these companies overlap, overlap and how they can infringe on your rights is another thing entirely. Yeah. But I'm really of the mind that I would rather corporations make these decisions rather than the government. And that I just don't see like Xbox Live or Phil Spencer saying like you can't. Uh, be mean to yeah. people as a free speech issue. Like I just, you're not allowed to come into my Patreon and call people names because yeah. I'll fucking ban you. No, exactly. You know, so because it's my platform and I'll, I can ban people for whatever reason I want, frankly, you know, I choose to not get involved in the moderation of my community on various forums like Facebook and stuff. I let them handle it. I don't want to be involved, but I don't know. I, I just want people to kind of the, the, the big nugget here, Chris is, we need to make a society or become a society in which expression, association, all those things are so well respected that companies wouldn't dream of doing the things Twitter and Facebook are doing. That's the solution because there would be such a catastrophic capital consequence for them that they wouldn't do it. But we're not in that place yet. No. So you have to make different salient arguments depending on what you're making. And free speech isn't under assault in the United States. It's not. No, mm-hmm. it's just not. So. Trust me, I have the Constitution tattooed on my arm, and I'd be the first one to tell you yeah, if it was. I, I would agree with you. <laughs> Brenton Bestwick has the final question. I don't think that's his real name. He says, hey, Colin and silly Chris. Love the perks since becoming a patron a few weeks ago, and here is my first inquiry. Thank you, Brenton, for writing in. With Konami rolling out arcade classics, Castlevania, and Contra, any chance we get some type of Suikoden classic collection? 
The first two games are considered some of the best JRPGs in the PlayStation 1 library, and the series was popular enough to get five entries. Really, I just want the first three with trophies, but I would take anything from that series. Thanks and keep making Tuesdays great again. Suikoden really is one of these famous niche fusion RPGs that everyone claims they played, but I don't think a lot of people did. I've never played it. And they are really interesting, especially because they have these massive characters. Like you can have a shit ton of characters in your party and stuff like that. I don't know that Konami is going to release a Suikoden collection anytime soon because remember the collections, the three collections that they did release were surrounding an anniversary of theirs that they were using classic games to celebrate. I think it's much more likely that you get like a Metroidvania collection from them first or more Contra games, which we're getting a new Contra game later this year before they ever get to later shit because there's Azure Dreams and Suikoden and Zone of the Enders and all the shit that is later. And We'll get there, I think. Metal Gear Solid. I mean, Didn't, that's the whole thing. Like, metal, You can't even play Metal Gear Solid on on PS4. You can't play Metal Gear yeah. Solid 2 or Metal Gear Solid 3. or metal, You can play... I don't think you can even play Metal Gear Solid 4 on PS4. You might be able to play it through PS I, Now. I think, I think so. I think you can play it through PS Now. Because the funny thing about Metal Gear Solid 4 was that they patched that game for trophies, like, I want to say seven or eight years after it came out, which is fucking hilarious. Did they really? Yeah, they, did it not launch for trophies? No. When it, did it When did, When did? did it launch? Was so that 2007 or 8? It was 2008. Eight, I think, but trophies didn't uh, games didn't have to have trophies until January 1st, 2009. So any game released before that trophies were optional. The first game that had trophies natively was Super Stardust HD. And the first game that was patched with trophies was Drake's Fortune. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I didn't know it was 2009. Yeah. That's a while. Yeah. It was four years. Well, trophies came out in the summer of 2008, but it wasn't until the SDK required developers to include them. Because I remember games coming out in late 2008, like Fallout 3 had trophies, but something else didn't have trophies. And it was like very weird and and, and stuff like that. So, oh, I think it was like 50 50 Cent Blood in the Sand or something. (laughs) I think 50 Cent Blood in the Sand might have been the last game that didn't have trophies that was released or the first game that had to have trophies. It's one of those things. That's interesting. You know, that's awesome. What a great legacy for that game. Isn't it cool? I can't think of it better <laughs> it's probably the most interesting thing about it honestly aside and from the fact that it's a 50 cent game all this me- all this knowledge is somewhere in my brain <laughs> you just pull it out like a fucking roller that doesn't really make any sense chris that's all i have for this week of sacred symbols well i guess we i guess we're done do you did you enjoy yourself this week i did I'm i got to, to give my uh give my hands a rest yeah jesus stop masturbating and you won't have to no, i haven't even dream- i haven't even dreamt about that oh really oh you can't yeah i can't yeah it's useless yeah you gotta Give yourself a rest, huh? Now, Chris, we will be back next week for more Sacred Symbols. Remember, give us your feedback on our idea of going twice a a week beginning sometime in August for our patrons. We'd love to hear what you guys think about that. You don't have to, like, write in on Patreon. Remember, you can always tweet us and and, and things of this nature. I'd really love to hear what you guys think. And remember, you can support us on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand right now for early ad-free access to every episode of our show, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, monthly Q&As, etc. Your support there is essential. We really do appreciate it. So thank you so much for that. Chris, any closing comments? Uh, no, I'm going to go race. All right. I'm going to go rage. <laughs> oh, I'll see no. You. I'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. 
To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Michael Josiah Borison, Barrett Boswell, Daniel Boyer, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Jimmy Brown, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lassiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Michael Shanholz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnboff, Phil Van Rall, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayan, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Organic Produce, Madmock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Crisk, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 